Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So today we're going to jump into our, continue our series on the 12 minor prophets that we're going to walk through this summer. This one is our second book, which is the book of Joel. And Joel actually, he looks forward to the day of Yahweh. He looks forward to the day of Yahweh, which is a pivotal moment when God's people will be vindicted, vindicated, sorry, not vindicted, vindicated. You know what? Let's pray. Father... I just thank you for today. Pray, Lord, that you hide me behind your cross. Let my words be your words. Speak through me today. And, Lord, I pray for open hearts and open ears ears to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hopefully that is not the beginning. Let's say that's the end of that part. So people will be vindicated, and God will pour out his spirit. Joel speaks of a locust swarm destroying crops and, by extension, livestock and livelihood. He begins to start. It's, when you read the first chapter, it's highly encouraging. It's not at all if you're, keeping, if you're reading. It's just talking about everything getting destroyed and them being attacked. And so I hope everybody, if you haven't picked up a reading schedule, there are more out here. It is on our website. We hope that you're reading along through the Minor Prophets this summer with us as we're teaching on it. But he talks about this, and he talks about the day of Yahweh, when all are judged and reconciliation is offered to the earth and will bring desolation and hopelessness for those on the wrong side, for those who choose to go against the will of Yahweh. See, here's what we have to realize. So many people will go, how do we serve a God who says he's loving But at the same time, Scripture tells us that people will end up in hell. I love the way this theologian writes it. Because here's what you have to understand. God is not choosing to send anybody to hell. His desire is for everybody to come into relationship with him. It's his desire that the world be saved. And I think what we have to understand is right here where it says, for those who choose to go against the will of Yahweh. They choose to go against his will. See, at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And today, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you decide, I'll do it another time. I want you to know what you're saying is no. And I always relate it to this. A lot of people just went to prom for graduation. If you ever asked somebody to go to prom and their response to you was, maybe another time. Nobody walks away going, oh, okay, that's good. Unless you're Lloyd Christmas, you're not walking away with high regards on that one. 
You are receiving that as a no. And what you have to understand is that's what God hears it as, as well. Because here is the honest truth, and I talked about this on Father's Day a little bit, about just wanting my kids to know that I'm proud of them, wanting my kids to know that I love them, wanting my kids to know that they have my approval, that I love them, I love who they are, I love who they're becoming. And no matter what they do, no matter what they do, it will not change the way I love them. And the reason I want them to know that so importantly is because for me in the last six months, I have lost so many mentors. I've lost so many spiritual men of God that should not be with Jesus in this moment, in my opinion. But again, I am not God. So they are gone too early, in my opinion. But what that means is I don't have tomorrow. Do you know that I'm not promised to make it home today? I'm not promised to make it through this message. So therefore, when you have the opportunity to get your life right with God, you should probably do it. Chad, that sounds like a little bit more like the, fi- the uh, you know, fire and brimstone that used to be preached. I'm not trying to do that. It's not trying to sound like a threat. But what you have to understand is every one of you have probably lost somebody. And most of you, most of us, haven't had those bedside moments. Sometimes it's instant. So for me to say, maybe later, maybe another time, maybe I will tell my kids I love them another time. Maybe I'll begin to get my life right with God another time. I don't have that promise. I have this moment right here, right now, which is all that you have. But yet so many of us worry about tomorrow. So many of us worry about what we're going to do at work tomorrow. The stress of Monday. So many of us worry about the summer holidays. So many of us worry about retirement. that we forget eternity. See, you might be counting the years or the months to retirement, but you actually can't count eternity. And we worry so much about this moment here. We worry so much about next week. We worry so much about next month. The new scripture tells us, but our life is but a mist here and gone. Here and gone. See, God promises that he will restore the misfortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. This is what Joel is writing. And save all who call upon his name. See, here's the wonderful thing. If today you call upon his name and you decide to follow him and continue to follow him, you will be saved. You will spend eternity with him. That's his promise. 
And this is what Joel is writing about. See, when it comes to the book of Joel, the Bible really does not provide any um, information about who Joel is. Really, in the first verse of Joel, it mentions his father's name. But since the book addresses situations in Judah, Joel probably prophesied in that region rather than the northern territory of Israel. So he's probably from that area. He's probably from the Judah area. The date of the book of Joel is actually also uncertain. The book could have been written during the period when Judah was was an independent kingdom as early as the late 8th century B.C., It also could have been composed after the Babylonian exile during the 5th century BC when Judah was a province of the Persian Empire. But when you're reading, based on Joel 1.13 and 2.17, the temple is in full functioning. The temple's functioning, so when the book was written, and that lets us know it's either in those areas. But this could also, could have been Solomon's temple before the exile, or another guy's temple, and the way I'm speaking this morning, I'm not going to try his name, after the exile. But if you read through Joel, he puts everything into about three main points. And the three points that he writes about is the immediate day of the Lord, the intimate day of the Lord, and the ultimate day of the Lord. So we're going to walk through these three things this morning. We're going to look first at the immediate day of the Lord. The immediate day of the Lord. See, when you're in a crisis, you'll hear all kinds of voices interpreting what's going on or telling you what to do. The optimist will say this crisis isn't going to last. Be brave. It's going to be over quick. The pessimist will sob and it's going to get worse and there's no escape. We're all done for. The alarmists, they will see the enemy behind every tree. And the scoffers will question the news reports and shrug their shoulders saying, what difference does it make anyway? But see, as Joel is writing, Joel was a realist. Joel was a realist who looked at life from a standpoint of the word of God. See, many of us, when you're in a crisis, when you're in a hard time, when you're in those trials, we talked about this morning already, we've prayed about already. I think it was Joyce Myers said, it's such a good quote, if I get, I think it was her. She said, before you go to the phone, go to the throne. And way too often, as Christians, do we immediately call people looking for wisdom and guidance, which is good. But how many of us can be honest when we're in a tough time? How many testimonies have we told? How many stories have we told, if we're honest? And we tell the story about, you know what? God prevailed. We went through this for months. And then you know what? We finally prayed. How many of us can be honest that we wish we finally prayed happened at the beginning? 
right? We're the believers. We're the Christ followers. We're the ones who are supposed to pray for others. And we will go to others to have them pray for us. But usually it's sometimes the last thing that we do. He was a realist. And he addressed his listeners in five different categories and gave them different instructions. And so we're going to read through Joel 1, 2 to 7. And here's what it says. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locust will eat. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left over, locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of the wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has teeth of a lion and fangs like a lioness. It has laid waste to our vines and ruined our fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. We jump to verse 11. It says, despair, you farmers, wail, you wine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. Jump to verse 13. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come and spend the night in sackcloth. You who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, For that day, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before your very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. See, it wasn't enough for the people to just humble themselves and lament. They also had to pray. See, Joel has spoken to them. All the different ones. He's spoken to the elders, all who lived in the lands, the elders, the citizens. He spoke to the drunkards. He called to the farmers. He called to the priests. And he told them, hear this. Listen. Wake up. Wail. Mourn. Declare a holy fast Warren Reesby he writes in the commentary he says too often we drift along from day to day taking our blessings for granted until God permits a natural calamity to occur and remind us of our total dependence on him when water is rationed and food is sacred and when pieces for necessity, prices for necessities escalate when we discover the poverty of our artificial civilization and our throwaway society. Suddenly, necessities become luxuries and luxuries become burdens. 
Is there something in your life? Is there an area in your life that God is speaking to you and he's saying to you, hear this, listen, listen to my spirit convict you. Wake up. Wail. Mourn about this. Fast about this. We really do live in a Christian culture where when we say, hey, we need to pray about this, we pray for a couple minutes. When we say, hey, as a church, as a community, we should really pray and fast about this. We live in a society where a lot of people go, somebody should do that. Somebody should pray and fast. I'll pray, but I'm not fasting. What is God speaking to your life? That if we're honest, we're ignoring him. He's calling them back to God. He's warning them of what's coming. Joel warns them, and then he moves into chapter 2 with the immediate and imminent day of the Lord. Joel 2, 1, he says this, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. See, what they did was they blew their trumpets. They announced war and called a fast. But what's amazing is when they went to battle, their weapons against the invading enemy would actually be repentance and prayer. Repentance and prayer. The Lord would fight for them. See, I believe that we pray for things in our society and we pray for God to move in our society. We pray for God to change things in our society. But when was the last time we actually repented? Chad, I don't have any effect on what happens in our society. We actually do. How does the church love those in our society? How does the church minister to those in our society? I was talking with some people this week, and this month, there's tons of things happening in our society that we don't agree with. And we try to figure out, you know, oh, how did this happen? How do we, how do we get this reversed? With Pride Month, there's lots of things that we don't see eye to eye with. But then here's where the church has to be honest. I grew up in church. I'm 42 years old. The amount of times as a teenager I heard the word sex in church was very minimal. We don't talk about sex in church. Do you know who created sex? Right? 
Do you know who understands what a pure sexual life is meant to be? But yet in church, we don't say the word sex. And if you've caught on, I've tried to say it as much as possible in the last 30 seconds. Because here's what we all have to realize. We have to take ownership for the fact that even the church let their young people learn about sex from the world because we didn't teach it. That's something that we have to repent of. We have to say, God, we're so sorry that you gave us an amazing gift for marriage. It was so amazing, we hid it. We were ashamed of it. We didn't talk about it. Do you think I, I realize it's so powerful in Scripture? Right in the beginning. Do you ever wonder why right in Genesis when it said Adam and Eve were naked and they, had, they were not ashamed? Shame came in when sin came in. We can't expect society to change until we actually repent. Until we actually own the fact that maybe even in our own homes we don't talk about it. His, his word talks about it. Their weapon to fight with was repentance and prayer. See, if you read, if you continue to read Joel 2, God's reply is the believer's promise. See, he was jealous for his land. He took pity on his people. See, here's the thing. We want God to move in such a mighty way. And we actually want him to almost attack other beliefs and fight for us. What if we changed our prayer? Lord, forgive us for not teaching the way we should have taught. And can you do us a favor, God? Can you take pity on us? Can you take pity on us? And begin to change the hearts of our leaders? Could you take pity on us and change the things that you empowered us and gave us? See, we live in Western culture. We live in North America. When was the last time you hoped somebody had pity on you? That's not who we were raised to be. But maybe biblically we should. Maybe we should ask God, have pity on us. And God promised that he was sending them grain and wine and oil, that he was going to drive away the enemies. And some of you in different areas of your life, you might need to claim this promise over your life, that he promised to repay your years the locusts have eaten. Maybe there's areas of your life, areas with your family, maybe situations in your own marriage, in your own life, where the locusts have been eating. And you look at it and you see maybe God starting to move and things starting to change. You're like, oh, I wish this happened 10 years ago. 
God can repay those 10 years the locusts have eaten. The third thing that Joel talks about is the ultimate day of the Lord. He actually begins to shift at the end of chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, which many of us will know. And he says this, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. To paraphrase, he will pour out his spirit on everybody. Everyone. Yes, even those. Everyone. He will pour out his spirit. See, Peter quotes this verse on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And if you read in chapter 3, you'll see the first 16 verses is about the judgment of God. So he kind of challenges them, and then he encourages them with promises of God, and then the judgment comes, and then from verse 17 to 21 on, it's about the blessing that God is going to pour out. God's faithfulness. See, on the day of the Lord, the Lord's return, what some of us need to remember, as I talked about, we're not promised to get home today. And immediately, many of us go, yeah, there could be a car accident. I'm preaching my eye, I could have a heart attack. Who knows? Any one of us, something could happen. But you know what we actually don't really think about? that Jesus could come back right now. Right? When I told you you aren't promised to get home today, how many of you went Jesus could return? Most of us thought I could die on the way home. Most of us thought death. We didn't think God's return. That's how much we actually don't think about it. God is coming back. And the scriptures tell us none of us know The moment somebody puts a billboard up telling us when he's coming back because they've done math equations, I immediately go, thank you for telling me it's not happening on that day. (laughs) None of us know he's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have a lot of nice things at home, but I have some nice things. If I knew one of you was going to come to my house and steal it, I'm not going to bed. If I know you're coming to my house while I'm on holidays to steal from me, guess what I'm doing? I'm not going on holidays. Or I'm calling some of my very big friends and saying, can you hide in my house? Chad, why big friends? Because I think they would teach them not to steal again. With the most love of Jesus Christ. But if we laugh at these scenarios, because you're sitting there going, Chad's such being so stupid, of course we're not going to let somebody steal our house. We're not going to let somebody just break into our house when we know they're coming. But how many of you, because you don't know when they're coming, you have insurance on your home, you have insurance on your car, you have, some of you will have home security systems on your homes. We do all of this. But again, we forget about eternity. You forget that Jesus is coming back. Any moment. 
And see, here's the thing. When the Lord returns, many of us don't like this, but there will be judgment. He's going to judge us. But here's the amazing thing. He is a good judge. There will be blessings as well. See, when we talk about his return, we talk about his judgment, a lot of times we concentrate on his judgment. The world likes to concentrate on his judgment. But what we have to remember is there will be blessings as well. He keeps his promises. He promises that he will judge and that we need to remember his promises. He also promises to bless us. So hold on to that. He's going to bless you. Joel Finley, he notes that the way Joel writes, he says, Joel dramatically moves his readers from horror and hopelessness to mourning and repentance, dread and awe to joy, assurance, hope, and expectation. So as you read through Joel, there should be moments where you're like, oh my goodness, that's not good. But at the end of it, you should finish with joy. You should finish with expectation. So this morning, if you're feeling hopelessness if, or mourning, I encourage you to start with repentance. Ask God if there's anything in your life to repent from. See, here's what we have to understand, that his conscience is different than ours. God's conscience is different than yours. See, Paul says, he writes and he says, my conscience is clear, but it's not me who judges. So he's willing to admit, hey, I feel good. I don't think I'm sinning, but when it gets down to it, I'm not the one who does. Then pray that you can move to awe and joy and insurance as you wait with hope and expectation for the promises of God. See, the one thing we learn from Joel is this. Because we don't know who he is, really the only thing we know is his name and who his dad is. What you have to understand is this. The meaning of Joel is Yahweh is God. That's what Joel means. Yahweh is God. And it was a common first name in ancient Israel. There's about 15 biblical individuals who bear the name. He doesn't stand out. This common prophet delivers an uncommonly strong message. Joel gives us courage that in hopelessness times, common folk, common people like you and me, with ordinary names, who make themselves available to God, will do great things. So in this time that we are in, where our world, our society needs God, he will work through you an ordinary person, the way he works through all of us. So what has God promised you? Because he has promises for you. See, not only can God work through you, but he actually wants to work through you. It doesn't matter how ordinary you think you are. If you make yourself available If you make yourself available this week, God will work through you. You just have to make yourself available. Let's pray. Prayer team, if you're in the room, will you come to the front? I told you right at the beginning that I was going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. And so I'm just going to ask everybody in the room just to close their eyes for a moment. 
Maybe you're here this morning and God has spoken to you. He has said, listen, wake up. And this morning, he's calling you to a life with him. He's giving you an opportunity to repent this morning. Turn your life towards him. If you're here this morning, I just want everybody with eyes closed. It's just a privacy thing. If you're here this morning and you want to accept Jesus Christ for the first time, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I will not center you out. I just want to pray with you. So if you're in the room and want to accept Jesus for the first time, I'll just get you to raise your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else want to join these two? Accept Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're in the room and you've accepted Jesus before, but now you're back and you're like, I'm trying to get my life back on track. Maybe you're here and just like, Chad, I've accepted him, but I need to recommit my life to the Lord. It's been a little while. It's been a year. It's been a couple of years. I've just kind of walked away. If that's you this morning, you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Let's get you to raise your hand again, eyes closed through the room. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else want to join these two? Thank you. I'm going to get everybody in the room just to repeat this prayer after me. If you've said this, you raised your hand, I want you to say it from the bottom of your heart. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. This morning I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Come the Savior of my life and help me to follow you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give these four a hand? Now, this morning, I have the prayer team across the front. And if you raise your hand, I want to encourage you to come to the front as we close and and let them pray with you. But if you've also come to church this morning, and as I've shared, you realize there's dreams and promises that God has given you. And he's spoken to you, but it feels like the locusts have eaten them. Why don't you come and let them pray with you just so they can encourage you, they can strengthen you, they can refresh you. Maybe you came just needing a touch from God. Don't leave here the same you came in. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to close this in prayer. The altars are open. You can come and let them pray with you this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege and the honor to come into your house to worship you. Lord, my prayer is as we leave this place that you will speak to us on a daily basis. That, Lord, you will convict us. You will awaken us. That, Lord, you will remind us of the promises that you've placed in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will refresh our spirit every day, that you will refresh us with your presence. Lord, you will remind us that you like to use normal, everyday people like us. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray over everyone in this room that you will strengthen them, you will encourage them, that, Lord, you will use them every day as long as they make themselves available to you. Give us the boldness to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you need prayer, please go see the prayer team. 
Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.